On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. at 2213 Gordon Road, I need a full assignment for a working residential If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein. And today on the podcast, I have a returning guest, Police Medic Rob. Hello, Phil. (laughs) Hey, Rob. Thanks for coming back and thanks for sharing this story. Um, And we have another guest on the podcast today as well. We have the other Police Medic Rob. Thanks for having me on, Phil. Well, thanks for being here. Guys, it's great to have you. Um, And the story that the two of you are about to share is it's just an incredible call with a great outcome. Uh, But the work that the two of you did in the months after the call really shows your character and your dedication to serving the public. So before we jump into the story, um, give us a little bit of background. Um, tell the people listening, how long have you guys been working together? I know it's been a while. I know uh, you have a great relationship. Uh, you do some crazy things. But uh, you know, tell, tell us about the, the amount of time that you've worked together and tell us a little bit about that relationship. Um, I'm in my 25th year with the, uh, with the police department. And uh, as soon as I came out of the police academy, Rob and I were, at, were actually partners for about a year. Uh, we kind of split our ways up. Uh, Went to different posts, covered different areas, and then uh, we wound up working next to each other for the last 19 years, I believe. Um, 20 years on my, my current ambulance, and uh, he's my, my neighbor and partner for the last 19. Rob, tell me a little bit about the third, the third precinct. I know it's uh, kind of unique as far as the precincts go. It's, it's sort of long and thin, if you will, but maybe talk about the geography a little bit so people have an understanding of what that precinct's like. Uh, it's it's a, a great mix of, of everything. I have... Um, there's uh, residential, there's commercial, I have the parkways, uh, actually three parkways that, that I can, three, yeah, three parkways that I cover, um, Roosevelt Field Mall, which is one of the six biggest malls in the country, 
and it just keeps more expanding from there. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good mix of various types of calls, medical, trauma, uh, just about anything. So you guys have obviously worked together for a while now, and I know the two of you have a tight friendship. And I have to mention this. I know we, we talked a little bit about this before, but I can't tell you how many times I've opened Facebook and just about spit my coffee out as I looked at some of the most ridiculous pictures of both of your heads on somebody's body. Usually they're wearing a Speedo or a bikini or <laughs> what you just did recently, and I, I can't even talk about it because it's it's horrible. But um, but it, I guess it goes to, to talk about the relationship that the two of you have. And, um, I, I appreciate the pictures. And if anybody is listening and follows the two of you on Facebook, I'm sure, I'm sure they, they do too, but I got to know, are there, are, are there going to be more coming? Cause I, I think the last one, um, uh, Roper, I, I think Spear got you pretty good on the last one. I wonder if there's going to be some retaliation. He did. He, he, he got me on quite a few other <laughs> ones that are, were, they were good. I, I had have to admit it. And, you know, and, and a good prankster always admits when he's been had, and you just got to step up the notch. <laughs> well, well, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, all right, well, well, let's jump in. I'll, I'll turn the mic over to you guys, and uh, I'll let you start sharing your story from the road. Um, all right, so we got the uh, my relieving point, which is uh, a, a term that we use for where we where we exchange our tours. Um, everybody relieves at various spots throughout the county in their respective precincts. Mine happens to be at the Westbury firehouse. Um, Rob and I were hanging out as we normally would in between calls. And um, we received the call for, I, I believe it was an un- unconscious female, unconscious child, 13 year old. Um, we were also updated that uh, our medical control, which is the link between all the hospitals and the ambulances within Nassau County uh, was performing uh, emergency, med- emergency medical dispatch with the caller, and the caller happened to be this child's mother. So they were giving her instructions on CPR and and um, how to address the uh, the life threatening injury that she sustained. So you guys are right off the bat dispatched to a child not breathing. You you get updated information that CPR is in progress. Um, you know what are some of the things running through your mind as you as you start to prepare for this call. First, the first thing that goes through my mind, I, I it, we're a little bit jaded, unfortunately, with the uh, with the opioid epidemic and everything else like that. A lot of our kids not breathing calls are um, they they turn out to be drug overdoses. So we're we're on our way to the call. We're thinking all the possibilities of uh, of what it can be, and uh, I hate to say that you know we, that tunnel vision of uh, the possible drug overdose going. Um, we're trying to think of the fastest route, and uh, we actually wound up separating our ways. Um, and we met we met at the house, and uh, while we were en route there, uh, the police officers got there in about two minutes. Um, they advised that CPR was in progress. Uh, they hooked her up to a um, an AED, and they delivered one shock to uh, to this child. So it's an interesting story how you guys got there because um, Roper, I think you were in a spare ambulance that day, weren't you? Yeah, I, I had a spare ambulance. Um, the condition, you know, is uh, questionable. I mean, it was roadworthy, but uh, I remember going to the call and, and, you know, Rob knows the area a little bit better than I do because he grew up there. Um, and like he said, we, we kind of got separated, but we eventually met up pretty much at the same time. Uh, my MDT, which is the uh, mobile data terminal, it's in, shows the calls and times and all that other stuff. 
uh, it kept falling. The screen kept falling down, so I couldn't follow the map and and see the updates. Um, I I, be, I came in the opposite direction from where Rob came in, and and when I pulled up, he was running down the street with equipment already, and I basically almost pretty much parked in the driveway. Um, the mother was on the phone as as I walked up with my equipment. Robert entered the house. The mother was on the phone right outside the front door. She was frantic. Um, and as we're walking in, you know, your vision kind of gets, gets gets narrowed down a little bit. You know, your adrenaline's pumped up and you still really don't know what's going on or what, what the cause is, you know, other than the fact it's a 13-year-old girl. And, uh, you know. And she's, she's, a, she's a full cardiac arrest at this point, isn't she? Yeah, we, we entered the room. The uh, cops told us that they had uh, the AED was was applied. It had shocked. Uh, was it? I think it shocked her once. So the police officers had beaten you guys to the scene. I, I think you had said earlier that they were doing CPR for a couple of minutes as as you got in. Yeah, Spear if that it was it, it was pretty close. We were all pretty much at the firehouse together. The the, the officers kind of we we kind of gather at that. It's kind of central to our post, so they hang out with us also, or vice versa. So we all pretty much they just got them a little a head start on us because their cars a little faster than us. Uh, you know, great gratefully the, uh, the the police officers that were there were were seasoned police officers. They knew what they were doing. They jumped right into action. They they started their CPR. They they knew exactly what to do while uh they were waiting for us to get there so they went ahead and performed a shock with the aed was that shock successful did that resuscitate the young girl well she was in a systole on our monitor so it it was successful in converting it out of v-fib and then as you know you give it a minute or so you know less than a minute you know uh, you give it a little bit and hopefully the uh heart regenerates it's a normal rhythm or a sustainable rhythm so as you guys jump in and start doing CPR, you know, what's going on with this call? Maybe tell some of the folks that are listening that, you know, aren't first responders that, that don't really know what's going on during a cardiac arrest that we're working in the house. Um, Spear, tell me some of the things that are going on during this call while, while you guys are, are performing CPR. What are you guys doing as medics? The, the procedures we were doing, I, I, was, uh, I was down at her leg. I, I, uh, I did an IO, a, uh, IV that went into the, the girl's bone. Um, gave her some medicine. I gave her some Narcan, gave her some Epi, uh, epinephrine. And um, Ra- at the same time, Rob was uh, performing an advanced airway. But he, he was uh, intubating her so he could he could breathe for her. Um, with that, I think it was about, what Rob, what, about a, a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. And when we, uh, we, fu- we got a rhythm back on her. Yeah, I, th- I think just after I secured the tube, I looked over at the monitor and there was a, a rhythm, so we just we stopped movement and double checked everything, and and we actually had a pulse. Uh, we had a sustainable rhythm on a monitor, so we <clears throat> so uh, continued to secure the ET, the endotracheal tube, and um, then we you know established a blood pressure and and got a, a good set of vitals. So at this point, she's basically stabilized in the house, correct? As stable as could be for that. Yeah, she was still unconscious. Um, un- totally unresponsive. So you guys loaded in the back of the ambulance. Police escort you guys to the hospital. No, uh, I, I understand it's a it's a child. You know, everybody's adrenaline is running. Everybody wants to do the right thing, uh, but sometimes you have to stop, take a deep breath, and go. Let's you know, let's just get there safely. We can't efficiently do our work in the back of an ambulance that's rocking side to side and stopping and, and accelerating 
you know, even, even though you're getting escorted and just the statistics show that there's more accidents caused by uh, enduring escorts than, than not. I will say though, the, uh, the police officer stopped every, basically every intersection. Um, the police officer that was driving our ambulance, I don't think he touched the brake. It was a straight line. We, we never stopped. Um, it was just a, just that they, they didn't, you know, they weren't, you know, front tailing and back tailing us. That's all. And at, at this point, you guys are still working her in the ambulance. Um, good pulses. Um, is she starting to become responsive at all? Uh, she never became responsive. Uh, she did have a good pulse. She had a good rhythm. Uh, I, I can't recall the the actual rhythm, but it, it was a sinus rhythm. Um, Might have been a little on the tacky side. I was, was going to say, it was, I remember being sinus like 160. Yeah. From where she was, you'll take that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I remember her blood pressure being being good. It was kind of what Rob and I had discussion on whether we should transport her right over to uh, Winthrop Hospital or right over to Cohen's, which are the two the two fairly large uh, pediatric facilities. Um, we discussed it, and we just felt that let's just go to the closest hospital, which was right down the street from us, let them stabilize her further, and then they can transport her over to another facility if, if necessary, which is which is what transpired. And um, subsequently, she did go into cardiac arrest again. Uh, they were able to get her out of it and stabilize her, and she was subsequently transported to Cohen's. And Cohen's is the children's hospital. Yes. Yeah. Before she gets transported to the children's hospital, it, it sounded like she had at least one more code. Did they have any idea what was going on at that point? Prior to her going into cardiac arrest, she was in her backyard jumping on her trampoline. Um, so that, that was a story that was given to us. So the hospital was actually treating it as, as a possible traumatic arrest as well. Maybe, maybe a neck injury, you know, that, that caused her to be like that. Um, so they were working her up for as, as a cardiac arrest and a traumatic arrest, um, until further, you know, un, until, uh, the other tests were, were performed. And, um, yeah, I think she went into cardiac arrest, like Rob said, like one or two times. She, I, I think she went into cardiac arrest in the ambulance for going to the other hospital at least one other time as well. You kind of alluded to this, but it wasn't a traumatic arrest. 13-year-old doesn't go into cardiac arrest for no reason. Were you guys able to uh, to find out what the underlying cause was for this 13-year-old to go into cardiac arrest? Yeah, th- this was – I mean, just right off the bat, it was a very unique call, I, I think, the fact that they were on the phone with medical control and, and they were given all the right information and they, and everything was following along very well. The father is actually um, is a former volunteer firefighter in the neighboring town and he knew CPR. So he started CPR right away. Um, so everything just really fell into place. And then, you know, after we handed off care to the hospital and put ourselves back into service uh, sometime later, um, the mom was giving daily updates through Facebook on her daughter's condition. She was providing everything over Facebook and it, it was very, it was comforting to see and read, you know, how, um, what was going on daily, how, you know, and, and what was going on with them and, and which directions they were going. And, and it wasn't for a couple of days later that I believe they found through a cardiac CAT scan, was it? Or uh, I think one I think of the tests. It, it was one of the cardiac CAT scan. I think it was that they they found out she had a condition called Alcapa, which is uh, basically the um, the arteries are are switched around in her heart from from birth. So it's a it's a congenital defect. Yeah, um, Alcapa. If if you read up on it, it it's it, the statistics are are devastating. 
Um, these are these are the cases that go unknown, you know, undetected by by uh, family members, and it's it's the defect that that's you know w- when you hear about kids dropping on on football fields, baseball fields, soccer fields, um, it's it's very common that this is what's killing the uh, the the kids that you know the irreversible um, cardiac issues. Um, everything that worked that worked for her that day, her dad was home, her mom was home. They they found her right away. And from what I, if I'm right, the um, the statistics for her are, I believe she was the sixth only, the only, the sixth survivor in the world, um, for, pre-hospitally for this uh, for this defect. So all the stars aligned on this one, huh? Absolutely, and and if again, if I'm uh, not mistaken, I believe she was the youngest child to ever survive it. And um, also the youngest adult to walk out of the hospital um, after corrective surgery. How long did she spend in the hospital? You know what? I honestly don't know how long. I know she was in there. She went in as 13. She had a birthday while she was in there. She had surgery. She was moved to Manhattan. Um, I think she came home from Manhattan. So I want to say at, at least a month, if not longer. But by all accounts, she made a full recovery, right? Yep. I don't, yes. I, I don't, we're not aware of anything that, uh, any deficits that she has or anything like that. I mean, so, I mean, aside from the positive outcome from this call and, and great job guys. I mean, you know, this is, you know, I've worked kids too, and I know how, you know, the adrenaline's pumping and you want to do everything right. And in this case, you know, this is a win, you know, you guys were there, did the right thing. You had a good couple of police officers. It sounded like you all worked together like a great team and, and really had a good win out of this. And that's fantastic. But, um, that's not, that's not where this ends. And, and honestly, I think the, the part of the story or the next part of the story is what really shows the heart of first responders. So maybe tell a little bit about, um, you know, what you guys did, you know, how you followed her and then maybe some of the things that you guys did for the family. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. We, we have a, a thing, you know, within our jobs, not to get connected to our patients. You know, it, it's heart wrenching. It's, it's psychologically, it could be damaging. And for some reason, this, this, uh, this call hit us both hard. You know, we, thank God we had each other to lean on and our friends, our family. Um, but you know, when we sat back every day, we would talk about this call, we would follow her progress and everything else like that. And we, we felt we had to do something else. You know, we wanted to do something with the family. We became, we came, became very friendly with the mom and the dad and, and, you know, got constant updates from her and everything else like that. But they always had that worry, you know, is this going to happen to her again? You know, is God forbid she goes into this, this uh, rhythm again or anything else like that. So we reached out to a, uh, a local um, charity, something called the, the Heather Pendergast Fund that was started by a, uh, a, a fireman who lost his daughter to cancer. Um, and him and his wife, Penny Pendergast, um, they started this charity and they, they help out volunteer firefighters, kids in need. Um, so we approached them and we told them the story. And usually it's, it's active uh, volunteer firefighters that they help, but they took the whole story into effect. They, they took the fact that he was, the dad was a volunteer firefighter at, at one point and he actually helped save his own daughter's life. So we, we approached them and, and we asked them to get a, um, uh, donate an AED you know, for, for them to go home with. And, um, they jumped at it. They, they would, there was no questions asked. They, they, I, I believe they, they wrote the check to, uh, gave it to Rob the next day. 
And then, Rob, you went out and, and you had some connections. You were able to get that AED, correct? Yeah, this is a uh, local medical uh, equipment supply place up by us that, you know, we, we've been using for years and years and years. Um, so I reached out to them and, and they provided the, uh, the AED. We got it ordered. And, uh, you know, once it came in, I picked it up. And then um, we had a get together at the police headquarters. And uh, they presented her with the uh, with the AED, with the family with the AED. Have they have they had to use the AED at all since she's been home since this event happened? No, th- thankfully the the cardiac surgeon that did the, the corrective surgery basically told them that she ninety nine point nine percent will never go into the rhythm that she had before. Um, they they reversed the vessels back to where they normally are, and and that was the you know that that was the fix all, and and she should never have to go into that rhythm again, but just so they have it, it, it's a peace of mind. You know, if she goes to a sporting event or a family outing or whatever else, and you know, God knows who knows that that actually might save someone else's life, you know? So it's, it's, it, it's a great thing that, that things worked out for, for them hundred percent. So let's talk about some of the tape takeaways and, and Roper, I'll start with you. What were some of the takeaways for you on this call? Everything fell into place. You know, just sometimes it just, everything works, you know, from the time, the time that she was discovered, her father started CPR immediately, which probably was one of the most key things that, that took place to sustain her, um, to the officers getting there and, and, you know, providing the defibrillation rapidly. I mean, this was all within two to three minutes of, of us getting the call. So everything just happened to be real quick. We were, we were close by, we were both together. Um, we weren't off in different parts of the county, which which can happen, um, and and everything just came together, and everybody worked well, and and you know we, we joke around about you know things all the time, but you know when it comes down to it, you know between us, the medics and the police officers, you know we we operate as a team, and and this is definitely one of those cases when uh, you know everything just just fell right into place. Spear, what about you? What what are some of your takeaways on this one? Uh, I pretty much what everything that Rob just said, but in the beginning, I, I had mentioned, you know, that, that we get so jaded with all these, uh, these kidnap breathings, Never, not, not usually a 13 year old, but when you, you hear a, a, a child not breathing and, and whatever, you're not thinking, oh, they, maybe they have this, this, you know, horrific congenital defect that they're not, they're not breathing. We're thinking of, you know, the overdoses and, and things like that. And, um, you know, yeah, I, we, I had a little bit of tunnel vision going into the call. So much fact that I, I actually had one of the um, the police officers search the room for any kind of drugs, you know. But th- when it when it come down to it, we we still treated her 100 percent exactly the same. You know, we we never lacked any kind of treatment or anything else like that. I, I my biggest takeaway is, you know, don't have that tunnel vision. You know, anything anything in this world is possible, and and you know, thank thankfully she she still had that outcome that she had. I mean. That was she was thirteen that day, and and she's just about to celebrate her seventeenth birthday. It's amazing. Do you guys still get a chance to keep in touch with her? Yes, yes. Uh, holidays, birthdays, you know, through Facebook, joking around, you know, then making comments on Rob's face in the holes that that he always uh, puts on Facebook with me. So we're, you know, in in, in their family's eyes and, and in our eyes, we're we're kind of a new family. We really are, you know, not, not just friends. They include us in, in all the updates and all the, you know, the milestones and the celebrations and everything. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I just, uh, she just on. reached out to me the other day cause, uh, you know, I celebrated a birthday and, and she texted me and we were chatting a little bit. Um, she's pursuing her, 
her career of uh, cosmetology or something like that. I don't know what she's doing. I know she's going to a school for, um, uh, you know, makeup and, and hair and whatnot. And she, she likes it. Well, listen, guys, this is, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories that we tell on this podcast and, and they don't, and most of them probably don't have um, really great outcomes. And we talk about lessons learned and we talk about the experiences that first responders go through. And, you know, you know, Rob, the first time you were on here, we had a, a story that didn't really have a great outcome. Uh, but this is a win, and this is a just a, a phenomenal outcome, not only for this for this young woman, uh, but I think, and one of the things that, that that really struck me about this story was the work that the two of you did afterwards um, to make sure that there was peace of mind in this family. And I've said it before; I'll say it again. Uh, we joke around a lot, but I know you guys pretty well. I've known you for for a long time, and I know your character. I know uh, you know your dedication to this job and to the people you serve. And this is certainly uh, an example of that. So, thank you guys for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks for sharing this story, and I hope you'll consider coming back and, and maybe sharing another one down the road somewhere. I, I have a feeling there's there's probably a few of them out there, and uh, I'd love to have you guys back. And uh, <laughs> I'd love to have you guys back and, and talk about a, another one somewhere down the road. So, thank you guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.